I may have mentioned I work with somebody many, many years ago who had been fired from an extraordinary amount of jobs. And his only explanation was that his bosses were jerks. And he didn't have really any insight into how he was precipitating the loss of the job, his behavior, his reactions, his emotional states. This is where you have to step back and say, what are the patterns that I engage in that keep resulting in me blowing up? And maybe it's not even that you're blowing up. Maybe it's that you're having a panic attack. Maybe it's that you're freaking out, to use a less clinical term. What's your pattern that keeps getting you into this place? And how do you recognize it? Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. So Robin, we are recording this post-family retreat. I know. I just got home last night, actually. Yeah, you just got home last night um, and post-hurricane because our family yes. retreat was in Florida. You put up some beautiful pictures of it. And somebody said, I'm sure you guys handled it. You know, I'm sure you said, oh, no, but we can handle this. And I said, like, oh, oh, yeah, we said, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we said a lot of other things too. It wasn't like we were like, yay, time to be flexible. Yeah. I mean, we were legitimately like, oh my God. Yeah. But you were, you, you worked your incredible organizational magic. It was really great. It was. I mean, it was just about getting everybody there. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the weather over the weekend during our retreat was a hundred percent phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It was just, how can we get there without the hurricane having disrupted the travel? And of course, you know, the hurricane caused a lot of devastation and it was an incredibly tragic event. Yeah. However, our retreat was quite the opposite. It was amazing. A lot of it, uh, you know, if we look at sort of what made it amazing, I think just in general, it was these people, you know, we sort of say it's it's this group of people that are willing to talk about this stuff, which here we have this group of listeners, here we have this group of people that are involved in my work. And it really is, I think, the quality that I see that makes these experiences so gratifying is that people show up and they're just willing to normalize it and talk about it and own it. We didn't really talk a lot about where you're from or what do you do. We really talked about what are the patterns that you struggle with? What are the things that came from your family? And how do we help you with your family? Because anxiety is so common and these patterns are so prevalent. And really, people were just very open and very vulnerable and very genuine. I think that makes a huge difference and what happens in families as they're trying to deal with this. It, that's the, that's how it is in my office. That's how it is when I go and give workshops. That's how it is when we have retreats. That's the common link. Yeah, I think if you are attending an event that's about managing anxiety so that you can increase your connection skills and find more joy, 
there was mm-hmm. this beautiful vulnerability that was already done. But I have to say, here's the funny thing that happened again. People who think that content that you offer isn't about them, but both the last two retreat, or actually every retreat now that I think about it, who attends the workshop from a capacity of like working with me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, this isn't really about me. This is about anxious families is what I see them saying. Yeah. This doesn't doesn't apply to me. This doesn't apply to me. Yeah. And every single time you see their face, oh my God. (laughs) And I just, I get blue in the face sometimes. You know how you're always like, I say this so many times, but I say this so many times. This is a hundred percent about every family, Mm -hmm. every family. So then when they're like, this is amazing. And I was like, oh, you're also, you know, you're coming to all the optional things. Yes. It's like, yep, I told you so. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, so thanks again. I I learn something every time from you. There you have it. Yeah. Well, and I think that happens actually like when I go into a school. So I'll go into a school and people will be there professionally and they're going to be, you know, wanting to find out how to help their students. And inevitably somebody comes up to me and says, you know what, I, I, saw that we were going to have you come in and talk about anxiety and how to help students. And don't tell my administrators this, but I really think it was more helpful for my own family than it was for my professional life. Um, and, and and so it really is just such a common thing. I, I really work hard. And so thank you for acknowledging this, but I really work hard to talk about this in a way that's about being a human being in relationships and the patterns that I talk about the things that I talk about are are really, I try and make them such a human process, not this anxiety disorder thing, but what are the things that everybody does in some way at some time, right? So, so where is your rigidity? Where does your catastrophic thinking show up? How is it that you tend to go global when you get overwhelmed? Those are not just the qualities of people who have anxiety disorders. Those are the qualities of people trying to work through their family life on planet earth. Yeah. And I, let's talk about that distinction, I suppose, once again, because, you know, I, even in the workshop or in other episodes, all I admit that like my anxiety pattern is catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem admitting that. Mm -hmm. You know me. Mm -hmm. Does my catastrophizing interfere with my life in any way? No. Right. Right. Because I have been working on managing it. Right. You can have the pattern. And you can manage it, and then it's not really like a thing. Right, right. Or you can, of course, have patterns that inhibit your life too. Yeah. And I think that people need to understand that you don't have to have a generalized anxiety disorder to be catastrophic. Exactly. Right. And also the other thing too is that you can also have these patterns and really feel like they're helping you. So you're getting through your life. You say like, my rigidity is what helps me get through my life. Or my catastrophic thinking is really what protects my family. I was just a guest on a podcast yesterday and we were talking about that. Like this idea that worry and catastrophic thinking is actually making you a good parent because it protects your children. So that person would never say, oh, I have anxiety or I participate in this anxiety pattern called catastrophic thinking. What they do say is like, no, I love my kids so much and my worry and my tracking them on their phones and all that kind of stuff, that makes me a good parent. That is so common. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but it's very common. So I live my kids so much yeah, that yeah. I don't let them do anything <laughs> yeah. because of my worry. Yeah. It's all about my love. It has nothing to do with my anxiety. Right. Or I hear a lot. Also, people will say that it is my job to make sure that my children are never upset, that the way that I show my love to my children is to make sure they never experience distress. And I get it because it feels good and it is loving to not want to have your children experience distress. And people just don't see that. Even if we just take away the whole language of anxiety and just talk about what are the patterns that get in the way of your own life experience or what are the patterns that get in the way of your children developing the skills that they need to handle stuff when things don't go as planned. That's what I'm talking about all the time. Anxiety happens to be the disorder that we look at where these patterns become so big and so life inhibiting, but we all have to pay attention to it. I come from a family of sticky brains, so we can get obsessed about things. We can do things in a way that you know, I, I come from that achievement culture where you have to do things in a perfect way. That's that's how I was brought up in the environment that I was in. I'm fully aware of that. And it's really something that we continue to work on over and over and over again. And that we have to talk about with our kids. Just like if you have substance abuse in your family, you talk about that as a pattern that you're trying to interrupt. So we don't have to talk about anxiety disorders. We really want to talk about patterns that we want to interrupt in a very global way, in a very general way. That's helpful information for people. You know, all I want to say is not only were our attendees phenomenal people, phenomenal parents showing up and wanting more connection and wanting joy, you guys are too who are listening. We have the best listeners. Yeah, we do have the best listeners. We get the nicest questions and comments and yeah, it's true because it's a self-selecting group, right? You're interested in in learning more. You're interested in this process of figuring out how do you own your own stuff? How do you recognize the patterns in yourself? How do you recognize the patterns in your kids? So we do have the best listeners. When we come back, I have a listener question for you about a woman wondering about her eight-year-old and her challenges with emotional regulation. But, you know, it's interesting. This isn't just about eight-year-olds. This is going to be about kids and grown-ups. Mm -hmm. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products 
organic foods. And I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Okay, we're back. So Lynn, here's a listener question for you. I'm looking for tips to help with emotional meltdowns and outbursts with my anxious and highly sensitive eight-year-old daughter, both in order to help prevent them and how to deal with them in the moment. Are anxious kids prone to more outbursts in general? We're working on flexibility and emotional management with her for what feels like forever, but she's especially likely to lose it when she perceives things aren't fair or haven't gone her way or as she planned. She's very intelligent, mature, and ahead of her age group in most areas, except for emotional regulation. I don't think we'd still be dealing with such big meltdowns at eight years old. Hmm. Yeah. Some people could still have those meltdowns at (laughs) 58 years old. Only eight-year-olds had mastered the skill of emotional management, right? That's a different world. (laughs) Yeah, right. Everybody would want to be a fourth grade teacher. Because you're like, woo, we got through those emotional management years. Little kids don't have those skills. So two-year-old tantrums look different than five-year-old tantrums look different than 58-year-old tantrums. But the skill of emotional management, the skill of emotional regulation is something that we're always working on. The question is this mom asks. So she says, at eight years old, should we still be dealing with this? Yes, 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 you should. Yep, yep. Because we go through developmental phases, the emotional regulation or emotional intensity really will bump up again, oftentimes during the teen years, because you feel things so deeply. Your brain and your development hits another place where you're just feeling things so intensely. It doesn't just get fixed and then it's fixed forever. It's a constant working on how do I manage these emotions? So it sounds like you should answer this for kids, teens, and grownups. Mm-hmm. Yes. So let me talk about specifically a few of the things that she says. One is that she says, do anxious kids have bigger emotional outbursts? And the answer is yes, because remember, this is all about rigidity. 
This is all about needing things to go a certain way. And so if you have the expectation that things have to go a certain way, that if it doesn't go as planned, then it's a disaster. Remember that rigidity is really combined with that all or nothing thinking. How do you adapt and how do you adjust? How do you be more flexible? I talk a lot about the combination of good planning plus flexibility. So do anxious people have more emotional outbursts? Yes, because they need things to be a certain way and the world doesn't cooperate and other people don't cooperate. Sometimes they take it out on themselves. So they say, oh, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that. I was supposed to do this perfectly and I didn't do it perfectly. And other times they take it out on the world. The world is not fair. This is not just, right? They're very much looking at things happening in an equal, in a just, in a fair, and most importantly, a predictable way. This is what I would talk about with your eight-year-old. And you cannot do much during the meltdown. Remember that, that once they've sort of gone off the rails, there's not a lot of learning happening. But to say to this eight-year-old, here's the pattern that we're working on, is that you have an idea of how you want things to go. Of course you do, right? When I go on a trip, when I give a talk, when I make a salad, I have an idea of how I want things to go. How do I handle myself when things don't go as planned? How do I manage this disappointment or this frustration or when somebody does something that I think is stupid or not fair? That's the skill we're working on. So let's talk about what we're going to do the next time something happens that doesn't feel fair. So what are the words we're going to use? What are the feelings we're going to have? And how are we going to manage that? This is a really good example of step one, step two. Step one, you have an emotion, a sensation, a feeling based on all sorts of things. Step two, how do you respond to it? So you can even say to her, give the pattern a name, right? The it's not fair pattern. Maybe that's what you call it, right? Oh, here comes unfairness. And you, you say to her, when unfairness shows up, let's think about what your thoughts are. You know, you pull that part out. Maybe you call this part of her Fanny Fair, whatever you want to call it. Lilith Fair, that was a pun, get it? Um, so, <laughs> and just to be clear, this is just as listeners, like you sort of threw me, it's a three-step yeah. process because the most important step is the front loading, Yes, which goes before the mm -hmm. that's not fair emotion. Right, because she has to know this is coming. You want to talk about this as a predictable pattern. Right. So remember, when we talk about these patterns, they are predictable, they are redundant, and they are persistent. So I'm sure that if I said to this mom, do you feel like this pattern with your eight-year-old is predictable, redundant, and persistent? She would be like, oh, yes, it is. So you want to say that to her. This is predictable. We know when it's going to show up. We know when, when Phyllis Fair is going to show up or Phyllis Unfair is going to show up and say, oh, not fair. That's what's going to happen. How are you going to think? How are you going to feel? Where is that going to be in your body? What do you, what do you notice in your body when you do that? And then in that moment, what's a different response? Now, that's the key because this mom might say, well, we can't get to a different response. The mom might also say, it just happens like that, right? Just zero to 60. 
People say that a lot. There's nothing I can do about it because it happens so quickly. Well, this is where the teaching is. How do you know? What do you see? What do you feel? How can we anticipate that we're about to have this big reaction? And what are we going to insert in there? So, so you may help her come up with a word together. Maybe she says the word volcano, or she says the word unfair, and she begins to recognize in herself that this is, that she's having these thoughts and feelings. Right now, she's very focused on what other people are doing. She's focused on, on, on the event itself. She's focused on the content outside of herself. And we really want her to focus on how she knows an eruption is coming. This takes practice. And she's eight. She's eight. So how do you know an eruption is coming? I would really talk to her about those signs that happen between step one and step two so that she begins to understand it. And you're not talking to her in a way that says, you have these big reactions, you can't handle it, or, you know, you do this. You want to say to her, this is something that a part of you that sort of shows up and together we're going to learn how to manage that part, but lay it out. This would be a time when I would draw boxes, where I would draw box one, box two, you know, I, I don't know how many boxes are going to be, three, four, five. First, this happens. So that's the unfairness. Then you feel this. I wonder what that big thought is that comes up in your brain from Phyllis Unfair. Then if it goes the wrong direction, what are the responses you have? Let's talk about how we can change that response. We're not telling her she shouldn't feel that way. We're not telling her she's going to feel comfortable when things are unfair. We're not telling her she's not going to have those sensations in her body. But what's the step where she can acknowledge out loud would be a great start. Mommy, Boy, Phyllis Unfair is right here. And you're going to might have to say that to her. This is interesting because I've heard you talk about this before, but this is proving a meta point because I always say it takes a long time to hear these things over and over again where they really click. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about these boxes before as a tool. And now, now I get it mm -hmm. because using these boxes, the meta point that you are sharing with this parent as a strategy is you're breaking up into parts mm -hmm. all of an emotional response that's visual for the child to encourage self-awareness mm -hmm. of the emotional response, the pattern, and obviously the goal is a visualization in this square, the different squares mm -hmm. of this is the new pattern, the new response that you would want to practice and practice and practice. Exactly. Very well said, because what you just pointed out, Robin, is that people will see this as a very quick, a very global, a very automatic response. And the goal is to break it down because we're looking for the place to interrupt. We're looking for the place to have a different response. We're looking the, for the place where she can ask for help. I mean, I've had many clients that have dealt with this. And one of the wonderful successes that we'll have is they'll be at a birthday party or they'll be at a swim party or they'll be in a store and the parent can see the child ramping up. And then the child looks to the mom 
and, you know, does the signal, puts her finger on her nose or says, I need help or says volcano or says Phyllis unfair. And in that moment, that's the self-awareness, just as we were talking about with the people who came to the retreat, that's the self-awareness that we're trying to generate. I'm about to do this thing that is going to not go well. This is regret prevention too. What you've described, I think, is actually appropriate for the eight-year-old or even the 16-year-old where the parent is helping their child work on this sort of self-awareness of the emotion and the response, right? You go through this whole sequence. But when we get back, I think we should talk about adults because this is where, obviously, if you don't have someone who is watching you and working with you, the growth can happen very slowly. So let's talk about that when we come back. Okay. Otherwise, everyone would be awesome. (laughs) 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 This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail, but lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So 
Help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. So in self-awareness for adults who have issues with emotional regulation, I mean, this is tough. If you're an adult who has blow-ups and big triggers, I mean, we all do to an mm-hmm. extent. Some are definitely very disruptive to other people around them. Right. And so it's the same process. We started off by talking about self-awareness and owning your own stuff. This is the key as an adult, if you're working on your own emotional management, is to recognize what your patterns are. In general, my experience with people who are grown-ups who continue to have these outbursts or continue to have these problems with emotional management, they're really oftentimes blamers or they just don't have words or language or information to recognize how this pattern keeps happening over and over and over again. I may have mentioned I work with somebody many, many years ago who had been fired from an extraordinary amount of jobs. And his only explanation was that his bosses were jerks. And he didn't have really any insight or any awareness into how he was precipitating the loss of the job, his behavior, his reactions, his emotional states. This is where you sort of have to really step back and say, what are the patterns that I engage in that keep resulting in me blowing up? What are the patterns that I do? And maybe it's not even that you're blowing up. Maybe it's that you're having a panic attack. Maybe it's that you're freaking out, to use a less clinical term. What do you do? What's your pattern that keeps getting you into this place? And how do you recognize it? It's very helpful in relationships for you to step back and own your own pattern, the patterns that get you dysregulated, the patterns that cause these big reactions in you. One of the patterns, of course, if we're looking at in terms of the concept of anxiety is is rigidity, the pattern of rigidity. Or there could be this pattern of people don't treat me right, or nobody listens to me. You have to think, what's sort of the motto? If your emotionally dysregulated place had a motto, if it had a bumper sticker, if it was wearing a t-shirt, what would it be? What is the thing that gets you going? And then how do you justify your emotional reactions, your emotional dysregulation, by looking outside of yourself rather than looking at how you're going to interrupt that pattern. I never read this book, but I wonder if that's what Who Moved My Cheese was about. Because, I mean, Who Moved My Cheese is (laughs) is an amazing motto for an anxious person who wants things just so. Yeah. Anxious people who tend to blow a lot, anxious people who tend to be angry a lot, who tend to be frustrated with other people a lot. So we're talking about more of a, an externalization of all these emotions because there are a lot of anxious people that just go inside and beat themselves up. That's the thing is that the world keeps letting their anxiety down. The world is not cooperating with their rigidity. 
the world isn't doing what your anxiety wants. Exactly. Yeah. You had to deal with a hurricane and you could have gotten really mad at the hurricane. You could have gotten really mad at the hotel. You could have gotten really mad at the airlines for canceling flights. The world wasn't cooperating with our plan. The hurricane wasn't cooperating with our plan. And how you manage that is really indicative of how flexible you are versus how rigid you are. Yeah. I was laughing that experiential training in anxiety management is included because you have to figure out how to get to Florida after like this horrible hurricane. Yeah. The pattern of overwhelm. That's a very real pattern. Mm -hmm. I could see people just easily needing to check out and that's like an internal Mm -hmm. or people would lash out because that's the external reaction too. And it could be a combination of things. All the above. All of the above. You can have an external and an internal reaction at the same time. Like nothing is fair, nothing ever goes my way, and I suck. Like that can happen at the same time. Why do things always go wrong for me? I must have bad luck. And also I'm a loser because I can't figure out how to do this. That can happen together at the same time. The solution to it is to continue to recognize that or experience even things are going to happen. You're going to screw up. You're going to send the wrong email to the wrong person. You're going to be embarrassed. This doesn't mean you're a loser, but if you freak out about it, and believe me, you can have a little freak out, right? You can be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's just, does this dictate how you move through the world? That you have these big reactions. There is a big difference between having emotional reactions and being emotionally dysregulated, right? Of course you're going to feel these things. I was trying to book a flight yesterday, but I texted you and I said, can you help me? Like, am I supposed to book this or this or this? And you said to me, when we talk tomorrow, I'll help you do it. So I said, great, right? Because I'm all about getting people to help me that do things better than I do. And so then I looked on the flights to just see what the thing was. And there was one that said one seat left. (laughs) So I texted you back and said, there's a really good flight. And it says one seat left. And I said, is that a real thing or are they just effing with me? You texted back, book now. Okay. (laughs) My heart rate went up. Like my armpit started sweating. I was like, book now, book now. So, (laughs) but I did it. Me booking that flight was a very emotional experience, but I didn't freak out. I didn't get overwhelmed, but I certainly was having an emotional response to to make this go the way that I needed it to go. Well, let me ask you this, though, because my own life experience, if I'm going to just take a typical person who I wouldn't label as super Mm self-aware, they can in the moment be talked to and see their ways and go and nod their head and hear what you're saying and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then they have no memory of it for the next time. Yes. If you're listening and you don't have a self-awareness of your patterns, what do you tell these listeners some sort of process or some sort of way to really identify this so that you can have that front-loading conversation with yourself? Mm -hmm. If you don't have self-awareness, so you said for people that don't have self-awareness, you have to have some recognition. You have to have some ownership of what the pattern is. And let's just say we have a lot of listeners who really easily identify these anxiety patterns in their kids. And then when it comes to themselves, not so much. Yes. That's the story of my professional life. May I just say one more time? 
This is why I don't see kids alone, everybody. This is why I don't say, oh, so parent, drop off your anxious kids in my office and you can go off and continue to do your anxious patterns, right? I don't see kids alone. That's why. You have a moment, right? You're listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, that is my pattern. I do see that. And we get a lot of comments from listeners that say, oh, I realize that's my pattern. Identify what your pattern is. Maybe it's multiple patterns. Give it a name. And then it is always for me about simplify, simplify, simplify. In the moment is not the time to sort of analyze and figure it out and have a huge, long, protracted conversation with yourself. Come up with just a mantra, a motto, something that helps you recognize I'm doing this. If you tend to get overwhelmed, if you tend to interrupt people all the time because you need things to go a certain way, if you tend to get rigid, if you tend to notice your heart rate going up, if you get a feeling in your face, we, you know, I call it the cry feeling, which is I'm not going to cry, but I can feel that feeling in my face. Recognize that and then give yourself a motto, give yourself a mantra that just helps you in that moment take a pause. In that moment, I am telling you, if you can just pause for five seconds, if you can take two breaths, not deep breaths, slow breaths, if you can take two breaths and think, okay, here it is, here's the pattern, what am I going to do next? It takes practice. You're not going to do it perfectly every time. Say that you have the same fight with your partner over and over again about this thing and you recognize, okay, so, so one of the things that feeds this argument is my rigidity, or one of the things that feeds this argument is my catastrophic thinking, or one of the things that feeds this argument is that I go global and I say, you never listen to me, and you recognize that, then every time you're stepping into that argument, every time you're moving closer to that argument, If you can have that moment, that mantra, that motto, interrupting what you say next sounds simple, but it is incredibly powerful. How do you say to yourself, I'm not going to go to this next step that I always go to? The example I often give is a woman who saw me many, many years ago, had a horrible abuse history, had a father-in-law who was controlling and bossy. It absolutely overwhelmed her. In his presence, she would shut down. She was going to see him. I said, what's the motto that you think that would help keep you present so that you don't shut down, so that you don't get so overwhelmed by his behavior? And she said, I just have to remember, he's a jerk. I said, okay, that's a good motto. We wrote it on a piece of paper. She put it in her pocket. And when she was around her father-in-law... Her goal was to interrupt the pattern of her becoming overwhelmed and shutting down and retreating. She wanted to stay present. When she was around him and when she started to feel those feelings come up, she would put her hand in her pocket and there was a little piece of paper in there that said, he's a jerk. That helped remind her. That was her motto. Sounds silly, but it was enormously helpful. So she was able to interrupt that pattern. You could do that. If you're going into a situation where you get overwhelmed, where you feel really anxious, you've got to have a meeting with your boss, you've got to have an awkward conversation and you tend to get anxious about those things, put a little piece of paper in your pocket that has your motto on it. You don't have to take it out. You don't have to say, excuse me, sir, I need to pull out my piece of paper and read it. You just put your hand in your pocket and you know what's on that paper. Any little thing that you can give yourself that connects you 
back to the motto, to the mantra, to the pattern interrupter is enormously helpful. We recently did an episode, of course, on when should therapy end? Mm -hmm. It's almost like this episode is when should therapy begin? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because because in fact, this level of self-awareness doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And if people feel like they are really lacking that self-awareness, you can acquire these skills by talking with a therapist, by unpacking these types of emotional events that will help you have that language too. I mean, that's an yeah. excellent outcome of therapy. Yeah. I mean, that happened yesterday, talking to a young woman that I work with. And in the moment, she was doing her catastrophizing. In the moment. I said to her, okay, so let's stop. Let's just take a little time out. You're doing your pattern right here in front of me. And you're trying to pull me into your pattern. This is your pattern. Let's back out of it. What are you going to do right now? This is hard work for her. So she needed me to point it out. In that moment, she didn't have that self-awareness. So I'm certainly not saying that this is one trial learning, that you're like, oh, my pattern is this. Oh, I'm not going to do it anymore. It takes practice. It's a constant adjustment, a constant learning. And if you're listening to this and you're saying, I I have no idea what my patterns are, right? Then maybe it's time to talk to somebody. Or maybe some of the listeners have been listening to this podcast for a while and they're like, yep, listening to Lynn talk about it, I totally get what my patterns are, which is cool. Very cool. Yeah. Free therapy. To wrap up, Mm -hmm. emotional regulation and self-awareness is a lifelong process. But if your child has outbursts and meltdowns, if you have outbursts and meltdowns, there is a way to sort of rein it in. Yeah. And it has a huge impact on your personal relationships. Yep. The biggest thing that you want to pay attention to is this attitude or this belief that you have either about your child or about yourself, that it just happens out of nowhere, that it's like a flip, um, a switch was flipped. There's nothing I can do. If we can slow it down, that's where the steps in the boxes make a lot of sense. I have a funny story to tell you before we go about the retreat. Yeah. Okay. So we did this party to celebrate silliness Mm -hmm. because we talk on the podcast a lot about the power of silliness. And I wasn't at the party. I know you had to take an earlier flight. Yeah. I missed the party. That was an adjustment we had to make. So I missed the party. Sure. We're on the bus and we're going to Epcot for this dessert and fireworks party. And I had planned for everyone on the bus to have these little whoopee cushion battles. Mm Mm-hmm. But I wanted to start it, obviously, because it's, you know, it's like a 20-minute bus ride. So (laughs) I wanted to not start these whoopee cushion battles until the very end. So it wasn't like 20 minutes of a bunch of kids jumping up and down on whoopee cushions. So I said to the bus driver, I said, hey, um, how much further do we have? And he said, you know, 10 minutes. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to start this whoopee cushion thing. And I pass it out and I give everyone their whoopee cushions and then the parents and the kids. And, you know, we're all like seeing who can make louder sounds with the whoopee cushions. And then I'm done. And I look at the bus driver and I go, how many more minutes? And he goes, 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, how is that possible? I don't know. 
know, but these whoopee cushions had the power to stop time. Yeah. <laughs> if this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.